Please stand for the reading of God's word. As Mark said, 1 Peter 5, 1 through 7. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Happy Advent season. Great to be here together. Uh, Malenga, so good to hear from you. So excited about what God's up to. And um, that's so encouraging to me. So we have two more weeks, this week and next week in 1 Peter. We've been looking at what it means to be God's elect exiles. And so, um, yeah, two more weeks. And what I want to do is I want to kind of finish this off well, but also tie it into Advent season. And this is such a great passage. There's so much in this passage. But we want to keep the service tight today so we have time to be out there because that's really what we're here to do in some ways today. So um, what I'm going to do is focus my comments primarily on verses 5 and 6 and this core posture as elect exiles in this world. So let me just dive right in. Um, I want to look at the central command, second half of verse 5. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Okay? This core Christian posture of humility. And the word, the, the Greek word there literally means lowliness of mind. I want you to adopt a lowliness of mind. So he's talking about a mindset, a, a way of thinking about ourselves in this world. And that way of thinking is essentially, turns out I'm not that big of a deal, right? I'm not that big of a deal. And as I step into communities, my needs aren't necessarily the most important. My desires aren't necessarily the most important. That's what humility is. I've always loved the definition of humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, right? It's just thinking of yourself less, right? It's a selfless mindset that we bring into community. And two weeks ago, we looked at this great passage in chapter 4 that talks about how we're to love one another, uh, how we offer hospitality to one another without grumbling, remember that, how we use our gifts to serve. And the way I, I look at that is like those are all these fruits that emerge out of a foundational soil of humility. When we step into community together from these humble places, all of that rich life emerges, but it depends on the foundation of just this simple way of thinking about ourselves in relationship to one another. So um, this season, we remember, of course, the Christmas story. And I was thinking this week, the Christmas story is a story of humility. Let me show you an image here of the Annunciation. This is uh, one artist's uh, depiction. I'm going through an Advent devotional. They, this came this week, so I saw it. Uh, this is the angel Gabriel coming to Mary, right? 
And of course, what we remember this time of year is the humility of Mary. Here is this, really this nobody, uh, teenage girl growing up in the middle of the Roman Empire, right, in this little outskirts town, and this angel appears to her with this staggering news that she would give birth to the Messiah, the King of Kings, and that that would happen miraculously, and she asks a really good question, how, how can this be? This is, I, 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 I'm not even married, I'm, I, how, can I, how can this happen? And, and she finds out how this is going to happen, and I imagine in that moment, she, she has no idea what this announcement will mean for her life, right? In terms of the adventures, the unknowns, the dangers. She might have a sense, though, I'm going to mother the Messiah. That's going to be a pretty crazy task. And what she does is responds in this beautifully humble way. She says, many of you know this, behold, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you've said, right? Which is to say, here I am. I don't totally get this. I, I don't know what this is going to mean for me. I'm not really a big deal. I don't know who I am, but I'm, I'm, the Lord's, I'm your servant, Lord. Like I'm, I want to be a vessel for, for you. So use me however you want. And she would discover you know, down through her life what that would look like. But it's this wonderful posture of humility. And this is what we, how we want to step into Christian community, any community. Here I am. I'm, I'm, I'm the Lord's servant. How can, Lord, use me however you want. Uh, but of course, uh, at Advent, we remember that Mary's humility isn't the ultimate act of humility. The ultimate act of humility going on here is the act of God himself, right? The incarnation, the eternal God uh, for all time, right? Ever, all present, omnipotent, all of that. He chooses to condescend himself to stoop down and enter into human life as an ordinary baby, first growing in a womb of an ordinary girl, and then being a baby and all the humility that comes from that. That's what we remember, the humility of our Lord Jesus in this season of Advent. Philippians 2 maybe most famously says it, right? Though being um, in, in form of God, he didn't consider equality with, something, uh, equality with God as something to be grasped, right? But he made himself nothing. And he took on human flesh. And then being found as a human, he humbled himself to the point of death, right? Even death on a cross. And that's what we remember in this season is the humility of our Lord. And for Christians, uh, hopefully, once, once we've seen that story, like once we've seen the humility of Jesus, certainly the humility of Mary, that, that, and once the spirit of Jesus starts to get inside of us, um, it changes how we enter into our relationships, right? It just, it just does. We, we ought to enter into relationships very distinctly from the way the world does it. So I, I love the verse here. Um, it's easy to pass over. Look at it again, verse 5, the second half there. All of you clothe yourselves with humility. And I was thinking it's easy to miss that clothe yourselves. But he's making a metaphor, right? Put on the clothes of humility. Uh, and in the ancient world where this was written, a person's clothes, their attire, um, told you about their social and economic status in the community. Like, you could just look at someone at a glance, and based on what they were wearing, you can kind of tell where they would fit, you know, in the society of that day. And so, Peter's saying, Christians, your distinctive clothing in society is humility. This is what distinguishes you 
uh, from the society around you. I was reminded this week of a Christmas story where I found myself in very distinctive clothing. So like uh, maybe five or six years ago, Carrie and I were invited to a uh, Christmas party right around this time of the year. And I can't remember the exact language of the Evite. I thought it said, wear a Christmas costume. It probably just said Christmas attire. I'm not sure what it said. So Carrie and I decked ourselves out in full-piece onesies, red onesies, dressed like a one-year-old with Santa hats, okay? Christmas costumes. We showed up to this party in red onesies, walked in, and everybody else was in formal Christmas attire. I think there was one ugly sweater in the house, but there were jackets. There, I think someone was in a tux, and um, it was friends, and it was okay, but it was like, okay, we are, we are clothed very distinctively in this moment, and I'm feeling very humbled in this, in this moment. But that's the metaphor, clothe yourselves with humility. And again, in, in an ancient society, which was an honor and shame society, okay, very hierarchical, uh, Middle Eastern, ancient Middle Eastern society, um, right? You, any, any form of hospitality obligated you back, and it kind of, there was just a strata of, of, you know, it was an honor and shame culture. And Peter says, not in God's uh, community. We wear the distinctive clothing. We look different, the distinctive clothing of Humility. This is a place where slave and free, where rich and poor, where young and old, right, male, female would come together. And because of the humility that was a part of them, this was a very different kind of community. Uh, and that is to be our call today, right? Now in the 21st century, in, in Western American society, where um, honor and shame is still very important to us, it just looks a little different, but where, where self promotion, is uh, so common uh, where uh, certainly our online lives are full of posts and virtue signaling and, and promoting ourselves where people are constantly walking into places wondering, how do I, how do I measure up with the people here? Where, you know, where do I fit here? How do I feel about my standing here? What, are, what am I thinking about? What other people are thinking about me? Right? This is all what we humans do in the world these desires to draw attention to ourselves through our humor, through our intelligence, through whatever, right? All the things that we do when we step into a group of people. Uh, Peter's saying God is interested in forming a very different kind of uh, community, right? A people who are dressed distinctively, who because of their experience of Jesus in their lives, because of the spirit of Jesus working in their lives, like, you know what, that whole like, where do I fit and that whole thing and the insecurity and pride and where do I measure? Like, I'm kind of done with that. I'm, I, I'm freed up from that. It's, I don't, I don't want to be trying to draw attention to myself. I don't, I don't really care what other people think about me. I don't care where I fit in the, the strata of this community. I, I want to be like Mary. I want to say, you know, here I am, right? Like, I, I'm here to serve. I'm here to love people. I'm here to um, just be of service. That is the kind of community um, that the Spirit of Jesus wants to form in His church today. And so that's really what this passage is all about, a humble community. And look at the passage again. You know, I don't have time to go into details, but really verse 1 through 4 gives us a picture of humble leaders in a community. Um, let me just read verse 2 through 4, or 2 through 3. 
Talking about to the elders, to the leaders. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Um, with, I would love to give a whole sermon on this, but what a refreshing picture of church leadership those two verses provide. We think about where we are as a church in America today. We are in a crisis of leadership in terms of church leadership. And, and I think, you know, 50 years ago, we kind of bought into a model of church leadership. It's like a business model, and you find the most charismatic, talented people who can draw a crowd, and you put them up there, and you let them do their thing, right? And we're kind of now reaping the fruits of that model where talent and charisma was more important than humility and character. And so now so many people in our nation experience disillusionment with the church, oftentimes because of the leadership of the church and what happens and the, the, the bummer things that go on there. And Peter offers just a very, I would say, refreshing picture of leaders uh, who aren't celebrities, who aren't charismatic talents, but who are shepherds, who lead by example, um, who, who are not in it for their own gain and reputation, but are there just to serve. It's a beautiful picture of humble leadership. And then I like verse 5. It's a, a picture of humble followership. That's not really a word, but um, in the same way, you who are younger, right, submit yourselves to your elders. Well, if we have a crisis of leadership in America, we also have a crisis of youth in America. A lot of young people who uh, don't really care what older, pe- older people have to say anymore, right? Who don't think, gosh, you've been alive for 50 years more than me. Maybe you have some wisdom. Maybe you have some knowledge. Maybe you have some perspective to offer. And so this is a refreshing picture of younger folks to submit to the leadership of those who have gone before them. So all that to say, this whole picture is a picture of humble community. Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. And then, this is what really hit me this week. Look at the reason. Look at the end of verse 5. Why clothe yourselves with humility towards one another? Because, and now he's quoting from Proverbs, God opposes the proud, but literally gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And that first phrase really hit me this week. Why do you clothe yourself with humility? Because God opposes the proud. I thought that's a strong thing to say. It doesn't say God ignores the proud or uh, avoids the proud or even dislikes the proud. No, God opposes. God is in active opposition to the proud. Pride is something that God wants to crack open and break, okay? I had a really powerful experience of this just this week in my own life. So um, uh, I, we had some friends over on Monday night, and I bought some badminton rackets and a, and a birdie the other day, and so I, we'd we had the, cleared out the driveway, and some of our girls were playing badminton now. They're trying to play badminton. Badminton's not an easy sport when you're like six or seven or eight years old. Uh, so Joel and his family were over. So end of the night comes. Context, it was really dark. And uh, so, so like, girls, girls, let, let, me just, let us just play for a couple minutes. So we start rallying for a second, and obviously we're way, way better than the girls. We're like 20, 20 hits into a rally, and the girls are like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. And I go, literally, girls, we could do this all day long. Next second total whiff birdie hits me right on the forehead. 
Girls are laughing and pointing. I ran inside, bit my pillow, went to sleep. It was painful. <laughs> but literally, we could do this all night long, girls, with kung. It was like egg on your face, right? Didn't really hurt my pride. Um, but like that, that physical picture, like pride cometh before the fall, God opposes the proud. That actually, that physical picture is a pretty, is the right one to what, what Peter is saying here. God is in active opposition to pride. Why? Well, here's why I think. Because I think pride is the biggest obstacle to encountering God, right? It's our pride. Pride is the biggest obstacle that gets in the way to experiencing God's grace and his work in our life. Sin actually isn't that big of an obstacle. I mean, we shouldn't sin, but sin oftentimes is a great doorway into the grace of God. Um, Don't take that the wrong way, right? (laughs) Sin itself is not an obstacle. It's, It's, right? I mean, pride is the issue, right? Sin never kept someone out of heaven, okay? Pride keeps people out of heaven. Pride is the big big obstacle to encountering the grace of God. And pride, I think, is probably the biggest obstacle to flourishing Christian community as well, right? Churches split in the end usually because of pride and ego. It's not usually like a theological issue or like, I don't know, um, organizational issues. I mean, those can be on the surface, but that's not usually what sends people going different ways for the most part. Usually, it is pride and ego. Church leaders fall because of ego, for the most part, right? It's, it's this massive barrier. And so that's why God poses it. And that's why God gives grace to the humble, as it says, right? When that pride is broken, humility is this, is this empty vessel that God's like, I just want to fill that with my, with my grace and my goodness and my provision, right? So I oppose the pride in you because I want to make you humble people who I can just fill up with my grace and forgiveness. And I was thinking of the, the Christmas story again and this theme that God opposes the proud. Um, we see it in the Christmas story as well. Um, here's another encounter that the angel Gabriel has with somebody. This one actually comes before his encounter with Mary. This is his encounter with Zechariah, right? And Zechariah is a good man. He's a righteous man. He's definitely art, uh, portrayed as a righteous man. But here's a great priest. He's serving in the temple, and um, Gabriel comes to him uh, right by the altar of incense with this amazing news. You and your wife Elizabeth, they're past the childbearing ages, you're going to have a son. It's going to be John the Baptist, right? And you're going to have a son, a miraculous son. He'll go before the Lord. And Zachariah says, he says, how will I know this will happen? Which is a soft way of saying, prove it, right? Um, what's, the show, what's the sign, right? What's, what's the sign? And Gabriel says to that part of him that I think that was pr- proud, you know, and prideful, he says, yeah, I don't, I don't like that response. Um, so you're not going to talk for the next nine months. In fact, you won't talk until your child is born. And you're going to be humbled for nine months. And you're going to watch me at work while you're, you silently, you know, stand by. And then, of course, there's an act where, where um, he writes out what the child's name will be, which is an act of humility. Mary, uh, his wife says, his name's going to be John. And they're like, no one in your family's named John. She's like, it's going to be John. And Zachariah's like, it's going to be John. And then 
his mouth is open, and he begins praising God. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's really interesting. The, the angel appears to Zechariah first, an uh, 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 older man, venerated, a priest of God. He appears, appears to this little teenage girl second, right? She's probably 15, Mary. Nobody knows her. And yet, if you read Luke's gospel, Mary's song, the Magnificat, comes before Zechariah's song, the Benedictus, because God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. So this little 15-year-old gets highlighted over the venerated priest. And look at her song. This is what, he sh- says, what she says in her song. God has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. Ah, that's a great phrase, proud in their inmost thoughts. Shoot. He has brought down rulers, right, from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. This is what God does. He opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. And so I, I, I think of that, and I think for us, like, to, to bring this home to our own lives, the question is, okay, so where are, where are there still forms of pride? Where do I see residue of pride or uh, whatever word you want to use? A pride still in me. And, and as I thought about this this week, I realized there are the obvious kind of forms of pride, right? People who, um, who just kind of are boastful, people who like to draw attention to their, themselves, and we all kind of can see that. But what I want to say this morning, I want you to just think about your own life. Pride takes so many different forms, depending on our personality, our constitution, our experience. So let me give you a couple forms. These might be a little more subtle than the, the obvious it, some, for some, it takes just the form of self-sufficiency. I'm a self-sufficient person. I can make my way in the world. Some of us, it takes an intellectual form, like people who we kind of think we've got life figured out. We, we know better than others. Um, for some of us, pride comes in the form of we're still trying so hard to perform for God. Even after many years of this Christian faith, we realize I'm still... I so badly want God to think I'm a good boy, right, or a good girl. We're performing moral performance for him, which is just a form of pride. We don't experience it as pride, but it's, I'm, not ex- I'm not accepting the grace of God. I'm, I'm wanting to earn it for him. Uh, how about this one? Anxiety can be a form of pride. I don't think of anxiety as proud, you know, prideful, but anxiety says there's a problem, and I think I'm the one who needs to solve this problem. I'm not sure how I'm going to solve this problem, so I'm going to worry about it right? There can be a pride even underneath anxiety. How how about this? There's an unwillingness to ask for help when we need help. Why would we do that? Because we're proud. How about this one? Um, There's a lack of forgiveness in us towards someone who's hurt us. There's a resentment or there are resentments that we continue to hold on to in our lives, which is a form of pride that hasn't fully experienced God's forgiveness for us. Or maybe the opposite. We have a hard time apologizing when we do things wrong to our, to our spouse, to our kids, to our friends, to our associates. Apologizing is really hard for us. Well, what's that? That's pride, right? Okay, what is that in you? What, what does that look like for you? And what I want to say this morning is this. God opposes those parts of you and those parts of me. God is in opposition 
He wants to crack those open. He wants to break those down so that he can heal us. He can forgive us so that we can experience his goodness, his grace, his spirit, his freedom, his healing in those places, right? So he's in opposition to those places for our good, for our ultimate healing. And so the last verse I'll look at, verse 6, says it this way then. Humble yourselves, okay? Where do you see those places in you still? Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, this is verse 6, that he may lift you up in due time. Okay, some of us sang a song in the round, humble thyselves in the side. You guys remember some of you guys sang that back in the day? What I hadn't thought about this week is that phrase, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. Why does Peter put that there? Under God's mighty hand. And if you were to track that phrase, that's a really common phrase in the Old Testament. And God's mighty hand is referring to God's power to save, God's power to redeem, uh, to free. So like Exodus, I, I saved you with my mighty hand, with my outstretched arms. Right? I delivered you from slavery in Egypt, brought you into a free land. So it's this picture of a God who is mighty to save, who has power to redeem. And so what I think Peter's probably doing here, he's speaking to a group of people who had been humbled, okay? Right, this, this is a group of people who were experiencing themselves as exiles, right? They were following Jesus, and because of that, they were being persecuted, uh, they were being criticized, they were being socially ostracized. They were being humiliated in public, and it was painful, and they were wondering, how much longer do we have to put up with this? Like, what do, how do we deal with this? And Peter's call for them is, continue to humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, right? Remember God's power to redeem and save and defend and vindicate you, okay? Look what he says in verse 7. Cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So you don't have to, in this case, you don't have to defend yourselves. You don't have to get even with these people, you know, who are criticizing you. Be humble under the mighty hand of God who has the power to vindicate you. And God will vindicate you in his time right? That he may lift you up in due time. And for some of them, due time would be soon. Maybe God would do something. He would, he would, he would change the circumstance. He would, um, he would exalt them in some way. They go through a se- season of humility, but he would lift them back up and restore them. Um, you can talk to Malenga afterwards, right? God, that's what God did with, with Malenga. He took him through a very humbling two years of wrongful imprisonment. And that was an unknown time. Didn't know how long that was going to be. And then God, through his mighty hand, lifted him up in God's timing and in God's season. That happened in two years, right? For some, it happens that way. Uh, for some, that lifting up doesn't come till the next life. And that's the hard truth of Scripture, that sometimes God's due time for vindicating his people and, and exalting them is in the next life, is in eternity. But whatever the timing is, this is the Christian story. Humiliation, humility, and then vindication and exaltation. That's the story of Jesus, right? He made himself nothing, death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place that is above every name. Every name, right? Every knee, every, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is the Christian story. 
from humility to exaltation, from humility to exaltation. And so Peter says, humble yourselves, therefore, and God will lift you up in due time, in his timing, in his ways. Your job, behold, here I am. I'm the Lord's servant, right? Use me however you want. So let me leave you with just that simple command in verse 5. Clothe yourselves with humility. And I'll just leave you with that. Clothe yourselves with humility. And I want you to just think, in this Advent season, as I look at the Christmas season, the next month of my life, how can I follow that call to clothe myself with humility? Okay? And take a moment just to be thinking, like, what, what, what do these next few weeks hold? So you look at your calendars, you look at the responsibilities, the, the anxieties that you have. What would it look like for me to follow in the way of Mary, to follow in the way of Jesus, to follow in the way of what Peter's calling us into here, to clothe myself with humility? And for some of you, maybe a specific relationship is what comes to mind. There's, there's a relationship that's been challenging, um, it's a little tense, and there's pride that's welling up in you, but it's like, okay, what would it look like to clothe myself in humility in that relationship? Uh, for some of you, it might be a specific circumstance, again, that feels, feels challenging or maybe unfair or very trying, but you're in something that you'd love to not be in, <laughs> you know, some circumstance that you'd love to get out of, but you sense God is calling you to, to be faithful in it. And maybe the question is, in that circumstance, it could be at work, right? It could be in your family. What would it look like for me to continue to clothe myself with humility, cast my cares on God, trust Him to vindicate me, and just walk faithfully through this? Or maybe it's just a general posture that you want to take into this holiday season. Like, I just want to, when I'm with people, I just want to come from this humble place. I want to focus on them. I want to build them up. I want to think through each conversation, like, how can I just bless this person? How can I in some way encourage this person, not make this about me, but really just be there to, to love them and listen to them and serve them? So there's so many ways we can do this. Uh, but this is our calling always, and it's a great season, especially in the Advent season, to do this. So let me take us to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll sing uh, a song that kind of also ushers us into this place of surrender to God and to humility. Let's pray. Well, Father, especially in this season, we remember um, the humility of our Lord, who, uh, though He was rich, for our sakes He became poor, uh, so that we, through His poverty, might become rich. We remember that beautiful act of humility uh, in his incarnation, and then, of course, also in his crucifixion. So we pray that the Spirit of Jesus would move in our hearts and minds in this season. Lord, fill us with humility. Humility is such a freeing, such a freeing quality, so much freer. And I pray in those, especially for those places where pride still reigns in us, we, ha we all have them. Those little places where we're holding on to our agenda, we're holding on to our reputation, we're holding on to our need to be right or to be heard or whatever it might be, however that plays out in us. May your opposition be powerful and gracious. May it be merciful, Lord. Break those places in us 
so that we can experience a deeper relationship with you, have a deeper deeper experience of your goodness and your, your good news towards us, Lord. Make us humble people who walk in the way of Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.